0: My topic for today is, what is the connection between the Holy Spirit and truth? What's the connection? Now, you'll recall the incident when Jesus was before Pilate, and uh, he said words to the effect, I'm not looking it up here just to quote it directly, but he said words to the effect that anybody that hears my voice is of the truth, and remember Pilate's retort What is truth? That's the view that most people have today. What is truth? Now, we know, of course, that there's all kinds of truths when it comes to uh, mechanical and physical laws, mathematical laws, and all this kind of thing. But when we're talking about philosophical truth, and we're talking about the issues that really count, there's only one source of those. I've commented on this before, in in a 250-year period, the Greeks produced 14 first-line geniuses. So important were them in the eyes, their thinking in the eyes of the world, this is what we even follow in our Western civilization today. Many of our concepts and ideas came right from the Greek philosophers. Now, they were trying to find truth. And Socrates, I think, summarizes as well as anybody. He said, you can never know the truth about anything. Because if you never knew it when you start out, how would you know it when you found it? So that's why it's important that we recognize the connection between the Holy Spirit and truth because that's the key to the real truth that God has made available to man. Now, uh, Mr. Carter read Acts, the second chapter, so I won't turn to that but, that, but that, of course, is the day of Pentecost. And it was on that day, the day of Pentecost, that this day that the New Testament church was born. That was the first day the Holy Spirit was given out in Mass to the church members as a down payment, called earnest in the Bible. Now, the Holy Spirit is given to help man. It it is not going to help us to gain salvation by itself. But we've been given a tool to utilize, and the very important beginning of that tool is recognizing the value of truth. Now, here's what Jesus said in John 18, verse number 37. John 18, verse 37. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So, what did Jesus say there? There are people who are of the truth. Well, if there are people who are of the truth, there are also people who are of the untruth. And the two are in constant conflict. The world is so saturated today with untruths and error that those who have the real truth of God are in such a small minority, they don't even count. Political correctness is one example of how the world views truth. In John 4, verse number 24, Jesus said, God is spirit. Now you heard Mr. Carter comment several times this morning about truth is related to the spirit, not the flesh. That is when we're talking about the philosophical and the religious truths that are of real value and count. He said, God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, you cannot truly worship God, is what Jesus said here, if you don't have the truth. Now, you can be well-meaning. You can certainly be sincere. But that in itself is not going to guarantee that you have, as you heard Mr. Carter talk about, this relationship with God and Christ. The two of them have to be united. Now, when the Scriptures were given in the Old Testament period, and even in the New for that matter... They, they were not just given out of a cocked hat. They came by means of revelation. This is a very unpopular word in uh, former, our former religious circles. As we read here in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 21, For prophecy never came by the will of man. Keep in mind when we're using the word prophecy, we're talking about the Revelation. In the Old Testament period, we think of prophecy as foretelling the future. When in reality, it's much broader meaning, as is made plain in the New Testament, it includes any inspired utterance. It didn't come by, they did not conjure it up and come to it on their own. How did it come? But holy men have spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's how it happened. You might wonder, well, there are, there are examples where, uh, Where some have not truly been called and led of God who inspired. Oh, yeah. Remember what Caiaphas, the high priest, said? He said, it is necessary that a man die for the nation this year. Do you remember that? He gave them the justification they were looking for in order to crucify Christ. Now, what does it say in the scripture? He said this by inspiration. Carrying out God's purpose. So that's how it was given. Now, going back to John, the 8th chapter, let's notice what we read here in verse number 32. John 8, verse number 32. You shall know the truth. He made that promise. You shall know it. And if you do, it will make you free. Free from what? Free from all of the false concepts, the misinformation, the misguided truths and everything, misguided so-called truths that people follow this day. You'll have an aim and you'll have a motive and you'll have a goal in life and you'll have an understanding. We'll come back to uh, that uh, word in a minute or two. So let me ask this question now. Because we're discussing the issue, the relationship between the Holy Spirit and the truth. How important is the Holy Spirit? Now, I don't know how many of you folks attended a church of your choice in the times past. And uh, you, you heard uh, ministers and clergymen talk about the Holy Spirit. And how many of us viewed it as a third person in the Trinity? Did anybody see any connection between the Holy Spirit and truth? We ever taught that in the past. Oh, you weren't taught it because people didn't know it. And one of the reasons they didn't know it is because the Holy Spirit was not leading them to know it. John 15, verse number 26. The Helper. I'm reading this from the New King James Version. It's called Comfort in the King James. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. And it uses the word he all the time. And this really confuses people. And this is one of the reasons that they presume it's a third person of the trinity and the reason it uses the word he this is greek grammar the antecedent to the word he is the word comforter which is masculine in the greek so cor- grammatically correct it has to follow the the uh, the form of using the he but in reality we know that it is an it it's the power the mind the character the inspiration of god and what will it do It will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I've said to you. So not only is it going to teach you, it's going to help your memory. How many times have we read in the gospel accounts where a certain event happened and then they would say, oh yeah, yeah, we remember what he said now. It made sense. They were able to think back on this particular event that took place and they knew it applied to Christ. They didn't get it at the time. So it brings to remembrance 1 John 4 verse number 6 1 John 4 and verse number 6 We are of God He who knows God hears us He who is not of God does not hear us now, have you ever talked to somebody and got in a religious conversation with them? It didn't take you any time at all until you were just talking to a stone wall. Got nowhere. You're wasting your breath. That's what the story is. That's why it says here. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So not only are we guaranteed to have an understanding of what truth is, we're also guaranteed to know what error is. Now we're going to see this is very important because you see what happens is when we've been in the church for a long time we have a tendency to forget these things we don't realize the importance of them. 1 John 5:20. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. Now do we have an understanding? Well, I can tell you one thing. There's only one way, well, there's more than one way, but, but that understanding can be lost. And you're witnessing, uh, I don't mean thousands of people that's happened to. I sat back there in 1974, and I, I saw 100,000 people go off their rockers. They don't know whether they're coming or going now. I call them many of these people Church of God hobbyists. We've even had some among us. They hop to this church here. They go to that one there. They're looking here. They're looking there. They're thinking ecumenism is the answer. Somehow or other, they're going to help somebody or find somebody under those circumstances. Save your energy. It's not going to work. That's why he says here, he has given us an understanding. Now let's ask this question. Are we going to respect what he's given us or are we going to treat it with contempt and disdain? I'll show you some of the ways that's done and has been done and is being done. First John 2, verse 21. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth. That's what he's telling these, these people that John wrote to. What does he say here? But because you know it and that no lie is of the truth, Now, it was called to our attention several times this morning, and it certainly is truth. God is not going to reveal a lie. If the Holy Spirit has been working with our minds, it can only be one thing if it is the Holy Spirit, and that's truth. If it's not truth, it's not the Holy Spirit. Plain and simple. Now, when you have... 15 people that have 15 different viewpoints and you have people arguing at this point, arguing that point and thinking this and thinking that. Uh Uh-oh, something's wrong somewhere. Where is it? Who has truth and who has error? You know, you better be listening very carefully to what people say. And some of them are very clever and deceptive in what they say. You better keep your ears open. I don't care who it is. In or out of the church. Now, the next question. How, then, is truth revealed? Now, of course, Mr. Carter was commenting this morning how that uh, in 1974 they turned to the scholars. And there's only one thing wrong with that. Which scholar are you going to turn to? What people do is they choose the one that, uh, that suits their liking, one that appeals to them. So they were looking for a justification for changing, making a, do, a major doctrinal change in, in, uh, in Pentecost. And I'll tell you why they had to make the major doctrinal change in Pentecost. They were really wanting to change divorce and remarriage. You know something? Pentecost and divorce and remarriage are the two best kept secrets in all of these churches that departed. You never hear them bring that up unless they're forced to. Then they'll come up with some, I think, very weak justification for it. I don't know how many people I've written and talked to. One lady wrote me just a while back, uh, emailed me from from, uh, Seattle and was taking me to task for what I said about divine revelation. You know something? After I got done conversing with her two or three times, I didn't waste any more time with her. Because her view is this. The Bible is the truth. And all Herbert Armstrong had to do was just read the Bible and there it was. And he was wrong on all these issues and now we have the truth. Does she believe in divine revelation and the power of the Holy Spirit? Why waste my time with somebody like that? You have somebody just constantly argues and bickers and this kind of thing. I don't waste my time with them. I got too many valuable things to do. So I didn't even even answer back the last time. What's the use? So as we see here, here's what Jesus said in John 7, verse 17. John seven, verse 17 if anyone wills to do his will, that is, you have a desire to want to obey God and you really want to do it, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. Ah, there's one little catch to that. The little catch to that is that a lot of people think they want to do God's will, but when they find out what it is, uh-oh, that's a horse of a different color. You can bring them up to a certain point. I had a man write me here just recently, and he wanted to, all the material I had written on homosexuality on our website. We got a very, I think, a very, very candid and, and pointed article about homosexuality on the it, really addresses this whole issue in the Bible. And he said, while I don't agree with you on the Sabbath, what you wrote about homosexuality is, you know, it's, it's really Christian living. There you go. I know how many people you can argue with and talk with, and they'll say, oh, I love Jesus, and I want to do God's will. Bring up the matter of the Sabbath day. See what kind of response you get. You find out how much they want to do God's will. Jesus here is talking about doing God's will. He means really doing God's will and being willing to do it when it's revealed to you and not making excuses. Luke 24, 45. You'll recall, uh, they could not comprehend most of what Jesus was talking about. That is, the disciples. In fact, uh, on many occasions when he talked to the public, remember, it says he spoke to them in parables for the very purpose of disguising what he was really saying. Because he said, it's not given to them. And when the disciples got alone with him in private, they said, well, what did you mean by that? He said, here it is, I'll tell you. Now, how many scriptures did they not understand? Countless scriptures. Then what do you read here? He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Luke 24, 45. He opened their understanding. He's done the same thing to you. I don't think most of us in the past were really seeking understanding, were we? I wasn't. And it just came like a bolt out of the blue. And most, most of you are the same way. Now, is that, uh, if if somebody really, really wants to know and really seeks it, Jesus said, seek and you will find. Ask and it shall be given to you. Knock and it shall be opened to you. So you can, you can, you can go out in either direction as long as you're sincere. But most of us weren't really looking for it, were we? All right. We were given an understanding. That's how we got it. You think you came to it on your own? Back in the 50s, when I was first learning the truth, I got a co-worker letter from Mr. Armstrong. And he was explaining something there about... Remember the occasion there when Jesus took the three disciples up to the mount, and then he, uh, Elijah and uh, Moses appeared to them, and then he saw these tabernacles... And, uh, and then he brought him down from the mountain, he was explaining what that reading really meant. and I read that make sense out of it. I opened up the scriptures and I started reading it I didn't, make, I didn't understand it. I couldn't make sense out of it. And so I got down on my knees in front of the bed and I prayed that God would give me understanding of it so I could see what was being said there. And I opened the scriptures and started reading and lo and behold, it came just like that. How many of you got the knowledge that you came to be based on your your private individual Bible study? You can have parts of it, sure. You have certain principles, you can understand that. But I mean, you put it together. He gave them an understanding of the scriptures, just like he gave all of us an understanding of the scriptures. That's where it came from. But you see, what was the instrument in accomplishing that? Well, let's notice here. John 14, verse number 16. I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of Truth. Notice the next part of this Whom the world cannot receive. They don't get it, it is a gift of God. Understanding and grasping the truth is a gift of God. That's the only place it can come from. If it were accomplished by human intellect, the scholars would have known that long ago. And Don't think these scholars are are, uh, incompetent people. I've got 25 different sets of commentaries. Now, when I read those commentaries, do I just believe what they say? Not at all. Three quarters of the time, they're incorrect. But I can tell you, I've got commentaries that are so heavy. And I've done a lot of study and reading into technical uh, scholarly works. And I can tell you, I have to really think through very carefully and go over, it over and over to finally get the gist of what they're talking about. What they write about would go over the heads of 99% of the people. Because they're writing those works for other scholars. They're not writing them for the local man. And if they had the truth, why don't all the scholars understand it today? why they're in as much disagreement as all the churches are. So you see, it just simply boils down who you're going to take, what uh, what your preference is. So as he said here, the spirit of truth. That's what it is. You heard that this morning. And then John 16, verse number 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. Now, let me ask you this question. We've been given three score in ten years, as, a, as an average. I'm a few years above that, and I don't know how much longer I'm going to last. People say to me, how are you doing today? I tell them I'm doing fine. I'm still kicking, but not as hard as I used to. Well, you usually don't become serious-minded enough until you start thinking seriously, till you're somewhere in like, maybe your 20s. And uh, you finally reach the place of senility along the line somewhere, and you can erase another five years or so off of that unless you're an exception to the rule. So you have what? You have about a 40-year, maybe a 45-year span during your lifetime when you're at an optimum of uh, of mental capability and prowess. And lo and behold, what happened? Why, God had the church deceived for 40 years. All of a sudden in 1974... We're like the Greek who found the law of of the specific gravity. Eureka! I found it. That's what they've been led to believe. Well, I can tell you the 60s was the golden age of the church. And that church went, when I first attended the first Feast of Tabernacles in 1955, Mr. Armstrong got up from the pulpit and he said, Brethren, this is the biggest feast we've ever had. We have 1,500 people here. We had local churches bigger than that in the 60s. So I saw that thing grow where the feast sites, we had quite a number of feast sites around the number with 15,000 at a feast site at a time. What is the membership now of that parent organization today after they quote, found the truth? Well, I think worldwide it's probably less than 60,000 and at the time the thing went to pieces back in the 70s there It was the feast was approaching about just locally in the United States alone 115,000 Was it blessed or was it cursed? That's the question we need to ask What was the result of it? What did it lead to? Chaos, confusion People who don't know where they're going or where they've been. People who sit around and question what happened. And I'll tell you one of the main reasons they do. They can't tell the difference between doctrine, administration, and prophecy. They're confused in that. Prophecy and administration are not doctrines. And when those two failed or proved to be faulty, then they tossed out the doctrine with it. John fourteen sixteen. I will pray the Father and He'll give you another Helper that He may abide with you forever. What I want to emphasize here is that He will abide with you forever. God's truth doesn't change. Who can do the changing? Only you can do the changing. And that'll happen if you lose your orientation. And if you don't realize the value of the Holy Spirit in bringing you to a knowledge of that truth. You have somehow seem to think, well, you came to it on your own. No, you didn't. Now, you might have grown up in it. And maybe your parents helped you to understand it, and you are able to see it as a child growing up. That's well and good, because the promise, as it says in the Scriptures, is to you and to your children. And big and to all those who are scattered all abroad. So it applies to your children. If you teach them right, you set the right example. First Corinthians 2, verses 9 through 12. See, we're reading here that it, it doesn't even enter man's brain, his heart, his mind, his concepts, whatever it is, to really know what's in store for him. We only see through a very, very cloudy mirror. So, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. Don't bring up revelation. They don't want to hear it. I told some young man, that is sitting across my room. And uh, I explained to him about revelation in Pentecost. Do you know what he said to me? Well, he said that sounds entirely foreign to me. He grew up, quote, in the church. i tell you, he's in his whole second generation. They don't know anything anymore. Two best kept secrets. Pentecost and divorce and remarriage. And if you're going to reject those things, then you're going to reject the Holy Spirit because that's exactly what happened. I saw 100,000 people just lose it. What happened to them? Well, look at the state they're in today. I uh, I kind of... You get a kick out of Mr. Carter because he gets on that internet and, boy, I mean, he's going to straighten him up. Well, I'll tell you what I learned about those people a long time ago. You can absolutely prove to them. I've had them, I've just shut him up. I've sent them emails and, I mean, I'll tell you, I never hear another peep out of him. I mean, they're through arguing. Are you going to accept it? Nah, they don't think it's important enough. That's a problem not important to them. Well, I can tell you it is important because if you violate one command, the Bible says you violated them all. That's why it's important. What man knows the things of a man except the spirit, that is his mind or his intellect, of the man which is in him? That's how we grasp and understand things, by this human intellect we have. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. That is to say that we cannot comprehend the things of God unless there is a spiritual intellect there. And where does that spiritual intellect come from? Now we have, we have received not the spirit of the world. What is the spirit of the world? The whole world lies in wickedness, John said. That's the spirit of the world. Oh, I can tell you, people get so excited, you know. They go see, read books about Harry Potter, and they say movies about Harry Potter. They go see the Matrix, Matrix, and they're so, they get so excited about all the action and activity, and they don't realize what subtle Gnostic propaganda, that whole thing is. It's what it is. It's a whole rigmarole about... Evil versus the good powers, the demiurges is a physical created it's evil, and blah, blah, that's all it is. It's just a paraphrase of the old Gnostic. I tell you what some of you would be very valuable, helpful to you. Get out the Gnostic Connection and go back and read those chapters on what Gnosticism is. It'll give you an insight. Probably we've forgotten it. You need to teach your children those things. So we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit... Which is from God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Freely given. That's what we've received. I didn't ask for it. Somebody would have said to me when I got out of high school, Bryce, you're gonna be a minister someday. He'd have probably got a fat lip. Because I had no intention or desire whatsoever to ever be in the ministry or be preaching. It wasn't my choice. I'm not the kind of a guy that wanted to be a minister all my life. I never wanted to be. But here I am. And you just have to put up with it, take it or leave it. Now, let me emphasize this. Truth comes as a result of the call we receive from God. That's how we got it. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 26. Mr. Mr. Carter read a good text this morning, and I, I'm i sorry I didn't write it down, but he was showing, that was a very good connection. He was showing that the begettle, the begettle we received from God gave us the truth. Now, what's the begettle? It's the Holy Spirit, isn't it? So, as we read here in 1 Corinthians 1, verse number 26, you see your calling, brethren. It's a calling. Not many wise men according to the flesh. Not many mighty. Not many noble are called. Doesn't mean there aren't any, but not many. We had some very, very sharp men down there at Pasadena, and I'm not exaggerating. As we read here in... Um, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse number 13, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse number 13, we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because, here's why, God from the beginning chose you for salvation, and by the way, that word chose is your second A list which would simply be better translated, He chooses you. To salvation or for salvation. That's why you've been called. Through, and how'd you do it? How'd it come about? Through sanctification of the Spirit. Now, what does sanctification mean? It means being set aside. When you sanctify something, you set it aside for a holy purpose. So you were set aside by means of the Holy Spirit... And belief in the truth. Now here's the connection between the two of them. Now can you be sanctified by the Holy Spirit and be walking around in error? Not if you're led by the Spirit. To which he called you by our gospel. So the good news message about God's kingdom is what uh, caught their attention and, uh, and caused them to respond. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 9. He has saved us, and it's just unfortunate because we don't have an English tense that matches this error list. It's unusual because what it is is a tense that gives a fact without any time relationship. It's just stating a fact. And what happens is that since we don't have anything that relates to it, the translators always just regarded it as a historical past, and so they put it, they translated it in the past tense most of the time, and it's incorrect. It should be translated, who saves us and calls us with a holy calling. Not it's already done. People are so deceived and misled into this thing about what they call salvation and talking about being saved just nonsense. They don't understand it. Now, here's what we've got to understand as church members. Some of you have been here a long time. What's going to happen to you if you lose faith in that calling? Or if you never, ever had it to begin with? You know If you lose faith in the truth that God gave you, or you don't, there's only one or two explanations. Either you never did have it, you just saw the physical argument of it, and you've accepted that, and that's been your whole modus operandi all your life, or you become careless, and you begin to question, and you begin to doubt, and you lose faith in your calling. You do that, it's only going to be a matter of time for you're through. That's all there is to it. Hebrews 10, verse number 38. The just shall live by faith. That's how you live. You'd be amazed how many people want it, when it gets down to the nitty gritty. Your faith fails. Well, God understands that we're all weak human beings. But I can tell you this: that this faith, that faith is failing for you, and it's gone on for years and years, and your faith is still fading. You got a problem. You better own up to it. You better get some faith. confidence in God and believe his promises and believe the power of his Holy Spirit that's what it's going to take you know the idea that you can just be a church member and you can come and and, and be in church is going to assure you salvation you're just daydreaming Paul said or Peter wrote that if the righteous scarcely be saved just scarcely be saved where will the ungodliness sinner stand we better not take it for granted. We better not take the truth for granted. First Timothy six, verse number ten. Verse twelve, I should say. First Timothy six, verse twelve. What are we what are we doing? There was a real good movie I saw here a while back. I, I usually don't watch too much too many movies because I'm more time in the more time in the History Channel or Learning Channel or something of that you unless the Learning Channel is something about. Uh, dinosaurs or pastors. I mean, they don't be the saturated with evolution. I can't stomach that. But, uh, there's a really a lot of good things, um, in, on the History Channel. But I, I was watching this movie. I, I just picked it up, just kind of scanned the dial. I drive drive everybody crazy if they're watching television, because I watch half a dozen different shows at the same time. But I was watching this one, and it was a really, a real true incident that happened. This guy was a Balkan. I forget his weight division, I think he was maybe about a middle class, middleweight, Balkan middleweight boxing champion, Jewish. So, he got hauled off to the concentration camps like all the rest of the Jews did when they gathered them up down there in the Balkans and sent them up to Germany. And there had these abusive guards there who were uh, not Germans, but they were ones that the Germans picked to do all the dirty work, and one of them started beating him and abusing him, and boy, he cleaned his clocks so fast, he just knocked him colder than a cucumber, boy, before the guy knew what hit him. And this German commandant was standing there, and he looked at him, he looked at his, his man, he pointed something, the assistant went down there, shot the guard in the head, sent the guy back to work. Called him in his office a little bit later. Guess what? They had big boxing matches about every week or every week or so in that concentration camp. He wanted to fight her because they bet big sums of money on those fights, and if he would win, he he could preserve his life. And he spent the rest of the time in that concentration camp fighting virtual fights, fighting for his life because the men who lost the fights were just taken out and executed. He had 200 fights and never lost a one. What happened when the war was over? He was separated from his fiance. He rounded her found her. He went back down to Israel. He settled in Israel. He had a whole string of descendants today. And everything. Now, he pro- I suppose he's probably dead by now. But, but uh, he had a very successful life. But he had to actually fight to save his life. That's the way life is, isn't it? Well, I can tell you this. We're in a fight that's more serious than that by far. Because he could just lose his physical life. Here's the fight we're in. Fight the good fight of faith. Now, you start letting your mind wander. You start letting doubts creep in your mind. You start finding faults and this kind of thing. It's, it's inevitable what's going to happen to you. You don't have any respect for the ministry. You don't have any for the church. You don't have any for God. It's only be a matter of time what's going to happen to you. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. That's what it's all about. And anything less than that is superficial. doesn't amount to anything. Hebrews 10, verse number 22. Let us draw near with, tr- with a true heart in full assurance. Do you have full assurance in the calling God gave you? Do you have full assurance in the truth? Or you don't like this. You don't like that. You disagree with this. You disagree with that. Something's wrong. Something's wrong somewhere. You better do some serious thinking. You better have full assurance in that truth that was given. Because that's what your salvation is going to be based on. It's going to be based on that, not on your personal ideas and personal opinions one way or the other. They don't mean anything unless they're in agreement with God. They're not. They're meaningless. So as we read here, Hebrews 10, verse 23, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. That's what it's all about. Those people lost it because they lost confidence in their calling. They saw this prophetic failure occur back there in 1972. They lost all confidence in that. Then the next thing they went after was doctrine. I saw it happening. It was pathetic what happened. What's left today? How many people on the earth today are actually keeping a Monday Pentecost? I was asked that question this morning. I'd make a guess, maybe 250. I doubt if it's any more than that. This is the largest single congregation. This church is the longest, largest single congregation that keeps a Monday Pentecost. Now, does that make us any better? No. But I can tell you, it makes us realize we have assurance in our calling. And if you know what the change was really for, you wouldn't even you wouldn't question it. On Monday, Pentecost. 1 Timothy 4, verse number 1. 1 Timothy 4, verse number 1. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, and we have the word some here. That's a very poor translation because that implies just a few. It actually is a Greek word, Certain. Not a man tell me a while back, he said every time you give a different translation like that, you're 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 changing the Bible. As though the King James Version is inspired. King James Version is not inspired. The Greek texts and the Hebrew texts are inspired. The King James translation and every other translation are simply translations of those texts. Are there mistranslations in it? You bet there are. Are a lot of words that are not, are, that are not clear? Absolutely. So when it says some here, it means certain. Now, you know what that implies? That implies somebody that had some real clout. Certain individuals could inf- that could influence others. You got to the place down there in Sacramento when I was there that uh, they'd send up a tape from headquarters and I'd have to sit and listen to the dribble going on. I'd just sit there and a seething, boiling I'd go home and I'd be some mad and take me three or four days to go or and I'd get back to church happy again. Then they'd send another tape and I'd go through that all over again, just seethe. That's what was going on. Certain individuals wanted to push their agenda on the local churches and they had that Church of God newspaper going. And I mean, it was a propaganda tool if there ever was one. And as a local minister, you were completely disarmed. You couldn't do anything. People said to me, oh, if you had just stayed here, things would never have been this way. You know what I'd tell? You don't know what you're talking about. It would have changed no matter who was there. Because if you didn't go along with it, it's either your way or out the way, out the door. And that's the way it worked. So a certain would depart from the faith. Depart from the faith. You know what the faith is? It's the embodiment of the doctrine. They're going to depart from the doctrine. Now, how did they get the doctrine? Conjured it up in their own minds. Well, we're living in a time very today. I can tell you what it is. It's every man for himself. There was no king in Israel in those days, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That's what we have got going on today. Christ's going to change that. I'll tell you this, he says the time's going to come when you're going to find out who was his servants and who weren't. First Timothy one verse nineteen. He said, You'd better fight a good warfare, having faith and a good conscience. What would it be like if you were living right now today and you were in one of these church hoppers, church of God hoppers, and you were going here and you were going there and you didn't know what to believe, what would your conscience be like? what would you be going through? Is that a clear conscience? A good conscience that some have rejected, having rejected, concerning the faith, It's what they cast off, had made shipwreck. I talked to people that I have known for years, and I tell you, they're the most contemptuous, disrespectful people you ever saw. They don't have any fear for God or man or anything. This is a state and condition they're in. It's a pretty sad indictment of what happens. Now, let's go to the last question here. And I'll try to uh, bring this to a halt reasonably soon here. What happens to those who lose faith? What happens to them? How do they behave? That's the thing we got to ask here. 1 Timothy 1, verse number 6. Some having strayed. So what do they do? They It's talking about people who strayed. Strayed from what? No other doctrine, as we read in verse 3. Let me tell you this very plainly. We are going to tolerate no other doctrine than what was taught by this church from the beginning. Plain and simple. Nothing else will be accepted. Because that came by a revelation. No other doctrine for which some having strayed have turned aside to idle talk or vain jangling, as the King James says, or empty talk. Desiring to be teachers of the law. Oh, they want to tell you what's right and wrong. They want to interpret God's law. They want to be able to say this and say that. Understanding neither what they say nor the things of which they affirm. Any of you encountered that? Keep your ears open. Listen carefully. Be aware. 2 Timothy 2, 17. Their message will spread like cancer. Yeah, it will. Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort, or Philetus are of this sort, have strayed concerning the truth, saying the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. People, well, I don't know why it is, but they'll listen to some dissenter. They just have an ear that's attracted to that kind of thing for some reason. You know, it's, it's amazing. It, it's just like a bunch of magnets. You see people who are like minded, and immediately they congregate together. I've seen people together in local congregations, and I knew exactly what was going to happen. And it did. They congregate together of like minds. That's what you better recognize. You know, it says back in the book of Proverbs, and I'm, of course, paraphrasing this as I think it is in the Living Bible, it says, um, I'm I'm paraphrasing it in a broad way. This is not literally the way it's stated, but it says words to the effect that you may not know what a person is like until you see who his friends are. Oh, that's the truth. Who are his friends? That tells you a whole lot. So, in 1 Timothy 6, verses 3 and 4, I'll tell you what happens when you begin to lose faith. You start questioning. You start questioning this. You start questioning that. You start picking at this. You start picking at that. There's only one way you're going to end up. You don't check it. You don't get a hold of yourself. 1 Timothy 6, verse number 3. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. Now, did we receive that or did we not? Were we led by the Holy Spirit or were we deceived? Were we in truth or were we in error? That's a fundamental question you better be able to answer in your own mind. Because it says here, he's proud, knowing nothing, but obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, little technicalities, from which come envy, strife, reviling, surmisings, useless wranglings of men with corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. Now, here's what's interesting about this. They're in the congregation. That's right, they're among the people. Now, do you suppose there are terrors among God's people today? Well, you bet there are. Jesus warned, just be careful, because if you yank them out, you might yank some good ones along with it. Well, it depends on how bad the terrors get. But that's what we need to recognize. Always questioning. Always doubting. Titus 3, verse number 9. Avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they're unprofitable and useless. And don't waste my time with that stuff. If somebody's been around long enough, now to know better. It's a waste of time. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. We'll, we'll adhere to that, I'll guarantee you. Because we're not going to tolerate that. 1 Timothy 6, verse 20. Timothy, guard that which was committed to your trust. Did God give you trust? If you don't believe that, it's inevitable it's going to take place with you. Avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. No. Yeah. You can read in the commentary and all of a sudden you suddenly conclude that this commentary is the truth and then you start believing that. You're in trouble. You are in trouble. Most people can't even discern what's truth and what's error and what they read in commentaries. Commentaries are simply commentaries by men who are making comments. Now, some of them are very good. I can tell you there are plenty of them that aren't either. I peruse them very carefully and I look at them. If I'm trying to find out an answer to a question, I might go through all 25 commentaries. Most of the time I'll get a, a sensible, reasonable answer that makes sense. Sometimes I won't get it at all. Sometimes I'll get a bunch of answers that don't even make any sense at all. Now, how do you know those things? I'll tell you how you know them. Through spiritual discernment. Through spiritual discernment. That's how you understand it. But let's notice here, this whole thing about scholarship and knowledge is nothing more than what you call human wisdom, trusting in human wisdom. Now, yeah, human wisdom can be beneficial in its right place, of course. We all make mistakes for make a difference who we are. But if we rely on that for the spiritual truths of God, we're in trouble. Truth does not come by scholars. It comes by revelation from God. As Paul said here in 1 Corinthians 3, verse number 19. 1 Corinthians 3, verse number 19. The wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. You read some of the things I've waded through a lot of these Greek philosophers I've read a lot of their works, and it's pathetic what some of them have come up with. Now, some of them come up with some pretty good ideas, but they don't have the truth. They were searching for it. They didn't have a revelation from God, so how could they? No matter how brilliant they were, they couldn't have any revelation. You've probably heard of Marcus Aurelius. He was one of the Roman emperors. You know what he was? He was a Stoic philosopher. He took bad advice. He made some pretty bad mistakes in dealing with the Christians. But you know, Stoicism, in one sense, was actually closer to the truth than a lot of these other concepts were. Because they recognized the difference between evil and good and the consequences of practicing evil. Now, they went overboard in trying to control it by just complete and total control of everything physical. And they didn't understand that you can't accomplish that without God's power and God's spirit. But it does illustrate that I don't care who you are and how brilliant you are. The wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. Now we recognize that. And I think we can say this. We'd better not lose faith in our calling. Don't dabble with it. Don't start doubting Because if you do, there's only one thing that's going to happen. Hebrews 5, verse number 12. Hebrews 5 and verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, what's happened to some? You need someone to teach you again the first principles and the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. That's why we go back and remind you of these things. I don't think any of you probably heard a sermon along these lines in a long time, if ever. That's why we need to realize the seriousness of our calling and we must not lose faith in it. 1 Peter 1, verse number 21. Through him, that is through Christ, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. You put it in a man and I don't give a hoot pardon me for using that expression. I don't care who that man is. You're going to be disappointed. You better look up there. I'll tell you if you studied the Bible a lot and read the gospels a lot and really studied about the life of Christ you'd know what he's like how he thinks. I started a series one time on how God thinks. I haven't gotten too far along in it, but I still have it back on the drawing board. And I was going through various examples of how Christ reacted to situations and why he said what he did. That's the one to look to. Have faith and confidence in him. And just remember, as we read here in Jude 20, Jude verses 20 and 21, you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Build yourself up what praying in the Holy Spirit. You're in union with the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit leading you? Or are you losing it? Doubting it? Or maybe you never had it. That's only the question you can answer, because you will be the one who will answer in the final analysis, not me or anybody else.